Well, welcome tonight. We are starting a brand new um, series, Thoughts. We're going to be discovering the feasts of the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to talk about, remember a couple weeks ago I talked about how um, sometimes I don't think we celebrate enough. And so we're going to talk about celebrating uh, with the Feast of the Old Testament. We're going to talk about what they are. And we're going to also talk about how the application is for us today. Um, because I think that's important. I, I don't want to just leave us with historical thoughts and information. Um, I don't want to just leave us out here like, oh, well, that was a nice feast that the Israelites did. And Jewish people still do. I want us to get us to the place of understanding the application and how not only is that fulfilled in Christ, like we're going to talk about tonight, but the application that there is personally for us in that. So tonight, strap on your boots. Get ready. We're going to dive in, all right? Over the next several weeks, we're going to do uh, this particular study on Feast of the Old Testament. Tonight, the first one that we're going to hit is called the Feast of Atonement. The Feast of Atonement. I would invite you to please grab your Bibles and turn to Leviticus. The book of Leviticus chapter 16 is where we're going to start. Leviticus chapter 16. We're going to read through um, this entire chapter. And as we read through this entire chapter, we're going to make some observations and then we're going to talk about what is this Day of Atonement. Okay, Leviticus chapter 16 beginning in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses, but into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put, put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls, on, uh, falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to make a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrance in, fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his fingers sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. 
then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin covering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Verse 18. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and, shall, and put it on the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, and shall bring forward the live goat, he is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place, and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in the sanctuary area and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar." The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, and intestines are to be burned up. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and do not do in, and do and not do any work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a Sabbath, a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is the lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priests and all members of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites, and it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. A couple things I want us to really kind of understand this as we dive into this Feast of Atonement. And these are pretty obvious things, but before I kind of give us kind of a breakdown of the 34 verses we read, I want us to understand two things. Number one, God takes sin very seriously. If you read through this, you understand that everything had to be done just the way God said. 
And if it wasn't done the way God said, it would mean death for someone. Most likely, usually, it was the priest. The second thing I want us to understand that's kind of an obvious thing is not only does God take sin seriously, but God takes our redemption seriously. And that is what this feast is really all about. It's about redemption. And you read that and you think, man, that's kind of a bloody, gory mess. And you're right. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so once a year, they had to do this, this Feast of Atonement to take place. You may be asking tonight, what is the Feast of Atonement? Some, um, I believe it's Yom Kippur. Is that correct? All you Jewish scholars? I looked that up online and that's kind of what I got. Um, that's the equivalent of, of what this Day of Atonement is, talks about. Um, it's also known as Yom Kippur. It was uh, the most holy day, solemn holy day of all the Israelite feasts and festivals. It occurred once a year um, on the 10th day of Tishri, the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar. On that day, the, the high priest was to perform these elaborate rituals that we just read about for the sins of the people. Um, the atonement ritual began with Aaron. If you picked up on verse 1 and, and, um, and moving forward, it, it says this, and I, it's, the Lord spoke to Moses after the deaths of Aaron's two sons, right? Because of why? Because God takes sin seriously, and His presence is very serious. And they had, He gives some instruction here because I believe the fact, and, and it's implied here, is the fact that they died because they didn't do this correctly. They didn't do this with a solemnness, with the uh, holiness, with the, the uh, reverence that it required. And so because of that, they ended up dying. Um, Aaron would go in, or the high priest of Israel would come into the Holy of Holies. On that day, it was understood that God, he's telling in, to Moses to warn Aaron not to come into this place whenever he felt like it. <laughs> this isn't just, in the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies represented what? The presence of God. We're going to get you see where I'm going here with this when we talk about our application? Come on now. That's exciting. I want you to stop and think about it. As we discuss this, I want you to stop and think about what life would have been like as an Old Testament Jew and how blessed we are as a New Testament Christian because of what God did because He took redemption seriously. Um, he couldn't just go in whenever he wanted to. It was just one special day a year. Um, and as I said earlier, this is ceremony was not to be taken lightly. Before entering the, the tabernacle, Aaron had to take a bath once a year, whether he needed it or not. Right? How we, can we look at that? Um, and then he had to put on special garments. And then he had to sacrifice a bull for the sin offering of himself and his family. The blood of the bull was to be sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant. And then Aaron was to bring two goats. One was to be sacrificed. They cast lots. One was to be sacrificed um, because of the uncleanness and the rebellion of Israel. 
um, whatever their sins had been. And the blood was to be sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant. The other goat was to be a scapegoat. I'm going to talk about that here in just a minute. Aaron would place the hands, his hands on the head of the scapegoat, and he would cover, um, confess over it the rebellion and the wickedness of the Israelites. And then he would send the goat out of town with someone who would take him out into the wilderness and let it go. Thus letting go the sins of the people. There's a symbolic reference here to this ritual, um, particularly, particularly to us as Christians, because the first goat would have accomplished what? The washing and cleansing of the sin by blood. And um, the, the high priest, the man who releases the goat, and the man who sacrificed, I'm sorry, animals outside the camp, he burned the carcass, had, all those had a, had a place here. Um, and what would happen is they would take that goat and kill it and then, as I said, let the other one go because that's kind of a symbolic thing. Um, and it talks about this, that not only is there um, forgiveness of your sin, but there's also forgiveness of your guilt. There's also forgiveness of, your con- of, of just the weight of your sin. Because those sins would be cast on that goat, and that goat would be released into the wilderness as a symbol of this. You've maybe heard the scripture that God takes your sin and casts it as far as the east is from the west. East, west. There we go. What's the significance of that? It's not to see how far God can throw it, right? God doesn't throw them anywhere. It's this idea of God doesn't hold it against us. There's no guilt in that. He has forgotten that. It's been cast away. And so because of that, that scapegoat then would um, be the symbol of their sin being cast away. The guilt would be off. And that would be a significant thing uh, for the Israelites. Because you can have, be, and, and this is a significant thing for us too, amen? Because... I can come to Jesus and I can ask Him to forgive me of my sin, but until I come to the realization that not only has He forgiven me, but He's taken them from me and His blood covers me and He has taken my scapegoat. He was my scapegoat. I no longer have the guilt of those sin. I didn't say I didn't have the consequences of those sin. Because when you set things in motion, sometimes... You still have consequences to pay. But the guilt of those sins, I can take them and I can give them to Christ. And then He gives me peace. He gives me Himself. And that's the beautiful picture of this as we look at this sin of atonement. Um, Any thoughts before we move? Typically this would happen between September and October, just in case you're wondering. That's kind of the uh, time frame. On our calendar, um, that's when it typically would happen. Ever wonder why God gave such an elaborate preparation for Israel in this? We're going to talk about preparation of this, why it was uh, important. Um, He actually gave preparations for Israel to do before this kind of feast or worship service. There's some very real practical reasons why God did that. Um, Have you ever gone to a celebration or party or wedding of some kind and had a rotten time 
even though everyone around you seemed to be having a wonderful time? Um, there are several reasons why it can happen. Um, but one reason is sometimes um, it isn't the party or the celebration. It's more likely the pre-party preparation that took place in the attitude of our heart and our plans. Um, let me kind of give you this. Sometimes if you plan um, to have a good time, you'll probably, if you don't plan to have a good time, if you think this is going to be a terrible time, can I tell you, you're going to have a terrible time. If you go to an event and you think this is going to be a drag, this is going to be boring, I'm going to hate this, this is going to be awful, can I tell you, you're going to have a drag and it's going to be boring and you're going to hate it and it's going to be awful. But if you would go... Uh, enthusiastically plan to bring items plan to share plan to partake that's a whole different mental preparation and i believe that as we look at some of these these things um, there's a preparation that was asked of the people of israel that i don't want us to escape tonight because i think it's powerful application for us if you look at leviticus chapter 23 Start reading in verse 26. It's a considerably smaller uh, passage of Scripture than what we just read on the Day of Atonement. Leviticus chapter 23 in verse 26. It says, The Lord said to Moses, The tenth day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Do not do any work on that day because it is the Day of Atonement when atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. Do, those who do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from their people. I will destroy from among their people anyone who does any work on that day. You shall do no work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. It is a day of Sabbath rest for you, and you must deny yourselves from the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening you are to observe your Sabbath. There are some principles here I want us to get. The first one is this. How many times in that passage of Scripture did you hear the words, deny yourself? Deny yourself. When it comes to our worship, when it comes to our um, relationship with the Lord, when it even comes to us coming before Christ to even ask for the forgiveness of sins, there's this idea for us when we come before God, we must deny ourselves. We must humble ourselves before the Lord. If I come up to, or if I am in a place of praying a prayer of repentance, and I come before God and say, God, forgive me. I don't think I did anything wrong. But I just, wanna, I just want you to forgive me. How I many you know, that's a, first of all, it's a dumb prayer. Secondly, it's, it's one of those things that you're not humble. Or sometimes we are, and, and this is, Oh boy, here we go. Sometimes we're not sorry for our sin. Sometimes we're sorry we got caught. We're not humble for our sin. We don't deny ourselves truly. We're just sorry we got caught in our sin. In this passage of Scripture, there's this idea of denying 
self. Can I tell you, self-denial should be a basic of every Christian's life. It was to be a day for God, not for you. Babies, uh, self-denial is a mark of maturity. How many of you know babies do not know the meaning of self-denial? Mine, right? Even little infants and toddlers, mine. And I want it, I'm going to cry until I get it. They don't know the, the, the thing of self-denial. An adult must know the meaning of self-denial if he's going to succeed as an adult. In other words, this, we can't stay baby Christians our entire life. We must have some maturity and maturity came in our life when probably mom or dad or someone in your life taught you that you can't have it your own way all the time. And finally, we learned how that process of growing up in maturity. And God teaches us that also. Selfish people, those people who will not deny themselves, will never know the joys of giving. They will never know the joy of love. They will never know the joy of peace and contentment. They will never have lasting friendships. They won't know what it means to care, and they won't know what it means to grow. You will never, mark this down, if you miss everything I say tonight, get this. You will never grow spiritually until we learn to deny ourselves. We must come to God knowing that we need to receive from Him. We need his atonement we need him in our life the denying of us it always costs us something to worship god it costs us the denying of us one of my favorite passages of scripture is found in second samuel 24 david is atoning for sin really and he comes to the threshing floor of aruna um, I believe it was a Jebusite, and he comes to his threshing floor, and he, um, Aruna says, take it. Do what you will. Just make this thing stop. Make this plague stop. And David makes this comment, I will not sacrifice to God that which costs me nothing. You're going to be someone that is seeing God move. There's a frequency uh, in this text uh, for the Day of Atonement. It's the frequency is deny yourself. There's a certain um, date that God had reserved here, um, and it was set up annually. And no matter what the weather was, you couldn't miss it. No matter. Um, what your household duties needed your attention, it didn't matter. If you got a toilet clogged, it didn't matter. If you had a tent, if your tent was falling down, it didn't matter. If the ball game was on and your favorite team was playing, it didn't matter. If they were having camel races and you had a, a leg in that thing, it didn't, you get my idea, right? It, it really doesn't matter how hectic your past week was. It doesn't matter if you're tired. It didn't matter anything about that, what that looked like. You see the parallels I'm doing here, right? Okay, just want to make sure we're all on the same page. It didn't matter because God had set that date for them. We're going to talk more next week about the Feast of the Sabbath. I'm not going to hit a whole lot on that tonight. But this particular 
feast, there was some elements to it that I believe would be beneficial for us whenever we come into a setting of worship ourselves. The first thing is this, there was a sense of awe. There was a sense of awe. As a matter of fact, as I looked at some of these things, there were ten, they set aside ten days to just be in awe of the presence of God during this feast. Just to be in awe of who He was. I think sometimes we miss the sense of awe of how big God is and how much He is and important He is to us. That sense of, man, oh, the the thought that comes to me is just the God that takes my breath away because I can't understand or fathom how awesome He is. And that sense of reverence and that sense of awe that just comes from being in His presence. There's another thing, too, I think that is important for us, and that's this. There was a sense of excitement. This sounds, I know as you read this, you would think that this sounds like a morbid day and it'd be a day that nobody would want to be a part of. And man, it's all their, oh, man, all that blood. And, oh. The Israelite people, this was a day of excitement. You know why? Because it marked the day that their sins were forgiven. There's an excitement. There should be an, every day that your sins are forgiven, and as a Christian, there should be an excitement in your heart. There should be excitement that should well up inside of you as worship. God, thank you for the fact that you forgave my sins. There's an excitement in that. There's an excitement in serving the Lord. The other thing that this, this festival, this feast would bring that I think is a parallel to our, our worship thing is it brought hope. It brought hope. That man, God was going to provide a way for me to come near to Him. And, and this was going to be a blood sacrifice. And He was going to wipe out my sins. And I have a hope in that. The fourth is this. It brought joy and enthusiasm. All four of those things. All excitement, hope, joy, enthusiasm. I guess there's five. All, all of those things should be part of our lives as we worship God too. There was something else that uh, was a part of this too that I want us to hit on before we kind of switch gears into something else that was in this. And that's this elaborate planning went into this. Um, It wasn't just a, eh, whatever happens, happens. Whatever takes place, takes place. If, you know, if, if the goats come, that's great. If they don't, well, sorry. Right? There was elaborate planning. Um, There was a thoughtfulness and a preparation. I'm going to get up on a soapbox here. You ready? I think every time that we do our daily devotions, every time that we set aside time to worship, every time that we come into the house of God to worship with others, I think there needs to be some preparation done. Here and here. I think that when you just haphazardly, just, well, whatever, 
with no plan, with no thought, with no preparation. There's an old saying, you get out of something, what you put into it. And I wonder sometimes if, you know, we, we, st- we open the Bible and we, this thing doesn't even speak to me. You know why it's not speaking to you? Maybe it's because of your preparation in preparing your heart and preparing yourself to, to read it. Maybe it's because your devotion life looks something like this. God, what do you want me to... Sp-? Right there. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. That's my word for the day. Thank you, Jesus. And I got n- virtually nothing out of it, right? Because that's the approach that we take to Scripture memorization and Scripture reading and study. There's no plan. There's no preparation. One thing you'll notice as we continue to go through these feasts, the Israelites, God gave them a plan to prepare, to do what He wanted them to do. Have you ever come to worship on Sunday ready to worship? Have you come with the thought process of, man, I get to be with God's people. I get to worship together in, in a place that um, is hot and cold and whatever you want. Um, I'm just kind of kidding from Sunday. But the, I get to come together and we get to sing together. We get to break bread together. We get to fellowship together. We get to hear the Word of God together. And there's a preparation that must take place. I challenge you with this thought. Before you start your next daily devotion, which should be tomorrow, before you come Sunday, prepare your mind and prepare your heart. And I challenge you to do that because here's what will happen. I guarantee something different will take place because you've started to prepare You've started to make that preparation. You've started to change your mindset a little bit. You know, when I was in college, that's when that kind of thought process hit me. When I was in high school, I I had a great youth pastor, but one thing I never really learned was how to do daily devotions until I got to college. And then I started doing those daily devotions, and sometimes, man, you just feel like you're stuck in a rut. And somebody gave me this awesome thought. Go prepared. In other words, pray. Pray as you're doing it. Pray before you're doing it. Pray after you're doing it. The Holy Spirit has this amazing thing that He does in us. And it's called allowing us to grow and connecting the dots. In Scripture, He does that. As you prepare. You've got to prepare. And then whenever you come into church, man, you just... When you prepare, you're just so much ready, ready to see what God wants to do. Yeah, there's that excitement. There's that, when, when you prepare, there's that, that excitement we talked about. kind of happens, doesn't it? Joy kind of happens when you prepare, when you think about those things. Um, I, I can be, unpreparedness leads you to frustration. Being unprepared will kind of bring some anxiety. You ever been unprepared for, well, like some of you are like unprepared for an assignment or something? That you, and all of a sudden, man, you, 
I, I hated those days. It would always be the days I forgot to read or didn't have time to read my assignment, and the teacher would say, uh, Mr. Summers, do you have any thoughts on this? I'm like, nope. <laughs> I don't. Why? Because I wasn't prepared. The next thing I want us to understand, not only did they deny themselves, but they also uh, were, were to present a food offering uh, to the Lord. Um, maybe your version says it, an offering that would be by fire. They would put that into the fire. The fire means that it would be consumed. In other words, you can't take it back, right? Um, it's done. There's, and that's the thought process of giving without expecting anything in return. When it comes to worship, plan on giving. When it comes to being in a setting where you're going to be approaching God, and, because that's exactly what they were doing. They were approaching God, even in their imperfection, even in, in the sin that was in their life that they were about to lay. They were approaching God. And as they approached God, that worship plan was part that they would give. They would give of their food offering. They would give of time. They would give of worship and praise. I wonder for us, I mean, some of those things are the same. We, we give worship and praise. We give our time. We give our finances. We give our, our heart. We give our life. It's the joy of, of giving. It's the joy of, of giving with no strings attached. Um, there's a part of this, as we read in, in Leviticus chapter 16, um, this, this idea with the high priest. And he was to come in, when he came into the Holy of Holies, he was to sprinkle this fine powder um, with hot coals on the hot coals, and this incense would smoke up into uh, and enter the presence of God. Why did he do that? Because the cloud that would be caused from the smoke um, would cover, uh, hover between him and the presence of God. If you remember back when Moses was um, receiving, it was just right after, I believe it was in Exodus chapter 33, if I'm not mistaken, when he is seeing the face of God, God takes his hand and he hides Moses' face so that he doesn't see his face. God turns also his backside because Moses can't stand to see the face of God and live. Right? It's that same principle for this high priest. Failure to do what God had told him to give of this offering would leave him unprotected, thus meaning his death his giving this offering on the coals protected him from god and actually brought blessing there's a, a saying it's george orwell says this he says when men stop worshiping god they promptly start worshiping man with disastrous results this idea of giving brought man into communion with god i have limited time so i want to move on to the most important part of, of this Feast of Atonement. And that's the freedom part of it, because that's what's so awesome. As we said earlier, they would bring two goats, one for the sins and the other as their scapegoat, justifying that their sins are not only forgiven, but they're removed. Knowing that, knowing this, that uh, you can have this, and could you imagine the anticipation that they would have felt as this feast approached? It's no wonder, you know, you read a lot of, of Scripture and, and you think, man, those Jewish people danced a lot. 
man, they shouted a lot and they sang a lot. They had a bunch of fellowship meals together. It almost sounds Pentecostal, doesn't it? Because there was an excitement there. Forgiven. Their sins would be held against them no more. Clean. It was a joy to be in the presence of God. Clean. They were felt loved and because God was taking this from their sins from them. And it makes me stop to think. As I said in, when we first started, God takes sin very seriously, but he takes redemption even more seriously. How do you know that, Pastor? Because God then sacrifices in place of the goat, in place of the offering that needed to be placed. He sacrifices his own son so that the blood of Jesus then, once and for all, Hebrews says, that the blood of Christ doesn't need to happen every year anymore with the, with the sacrifice, but once and for all, the sins have been forgiven. You can come to Christ at any time. It's not just a specific time of the year, but we have open access to the King. That holy of holy thing, where people would die. The high priest would die if he didn't do that right. Jesus says, I'll fix that too, and I'll tear that down. And here's the deal. You have access to God. The day of the Feast of Atonement was a special day for those Jews, but it also was a promise of the things. As we look on it now, it's a promise of the things that were to come. That it's not just about two goats, but it's about the Son of God who would be the sacrificial person, the sacrifice that would take over the sins of the world and give us access to the Father at any time. As you look at this Feast of Atonement, that is our promise. That's our redemption. That we have gained access. I've read the end of the book. I've read it through. And I know that he who has the Son has it all. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And when I accept the Son, He gives me life, eternal and more abundant even here. And there's that cleansing that takes place. Yeah, it's not on a goat that I have to take out through the wilderness. But the same principle, not only does he cover, his blood cover my sins, but he removes my sins. And he has the power to break my sin. Those addictions, those things in your life, he has the power to break that to the place where not only are your sins forgiven, but they are removed and cast away and set you free. Hallelujah. That is what the Feast of Atonement means. These Israelites, man, they knew how to have a feast, man. It was a preparation. There was things that went into it. God told them exactly what to do, and they had to follow it to the nth degree. And there's some things I think we can learn from that, things we talked about tonight, being prepared in our mind, being prepared as we come to worship. I think there's some things that we can learn from the things that we talked about tonight. But the thing I want us to understand is Jesus paid it all. There's an old song that says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain, but he washed it 
white as snow. That's the power of the blood of Christ that brings redemption. I want to also just throw this out, and this is uh, kind of along the other stuff that we talked about earlier. I challenge you to get ready for worship this week. And I don't just mean Sunday. Let that be part of your life every day that you'll make preparations to get in with God. Mentally and in your heart. That's why I prayed that prayer. God, help that 18 inches between my head and my heart be connected so that I can make preparations in my heart and in my mind. If we will learn to deny ourselves, the more that you learn to deny yourself and the more of yourself that you deny, the more you'll discover who God is. The more you'll grow as a believer and the more you'll see God do in your life. Because why? It's kind of what we talked about Sunday with the stones. You're narrowing your focus and giving God an instrument to use because holiness hits the mark. Being prepared and coming to Christ and doing what He's asked us to do hits the mark of what he has. Amen. Father, tonight I thank you. First and foremost, I thank you for redemption. I thank you that my sins are forgiven. And not only are my sins forgiven, but they've been removed. I thank you tonight that you loved me enough that you gave me your son as my ultimate sacrifice. That you loved mankind enough. That God so loved the world that He gave us one and only Son to pay that price of redemption, of atonement. And God, I thank You tonight. Jesus, thank You for being willing to do that for me. Help us to regain that sense of awe and that reverence and that excitement and joy and all of that, God, as we come before you, Lord, and cause us to grow deeper in our walk with you and more in love with you daily. We praise you, God, and we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for life change that we see. We thank you, God, for the things we can't even see that you're working and doing. And we give you glory tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming tonight. God bless you.